This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Well, impeachment is in the news, isn't it? We're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about impeachment from the American history standpoint, I think you might say, in our second segment today with my former instructor of history, Mr. Mark Mattingly. I think you'll want to stick around for that. Hope so anyway. But I want to start the program today with a news item that sort of caught my attention. It is a sign of the times in many respects. I think too many to enumerate. But let's, let's just jump into the story. It's a pretty brief one. Dateline, Guangxi, China. The story here is that a Chinese hitman hired to murder a businessman's competitor, then hired another assassin to do the job, who, wouldn't you know it, then subcontracted the killing to another hitman, who himself decided to subcontract out to another hitman, who also decided to, you know, go ahead and hire yet another hitman. This saga began when businessman Tan Yuhui paired a hitman named Ji Guangan $282,000 to take out his rival. It was Ji who then hired another hitman for half the amount. As mentioned, the subcontracting continued down to hitman number five, a man named Ling Shanxi. After he got the nod from number four, Ling decided on a different scheme. He contacted the target, Mr. Wei, and proposed... They fake the murder and take the cash, which by this point whittled down to 100,000 yuan, which by our calculations works out to something like $14,000. It sounds like in each case the guy reduced the amount by half, kept half and subcontracted out for 50%, 50 cents on the dollar. At first, Mr. Wei agreed to this dubious scheme, but then decided to report the case to the police. And it turns out that Mr. Tan, the real perp in all of this, and his five consecutive hitmen are going to serve sentences ranging from, ranging from 31 months to five years. It's my hope that the last guy in the chain got the 31 months and it worked its way back up to the five years for the guy that originally hired the hitmen. But I don't know how things could work over in China. But this did remind me of the good news that was being portrayed on one of those, uh, you know, radio business programs about how it is well you know you know manufacturing is really down the country but boy the service economy is booming so i guess it's booming over in china as well and after starting out the program with an oddball item like that i I feel like delving into more oddball items well it doesn't get more uh oddball than this follow-up story we mentioned on the show some weeks back that thailand's king maha vajitalongkorn uh, had re- elevated his concubine, well, it elevated his companion to the role of official concubine. Well, he's now stripped his royal concubine of all titles for trying to, quote, elevate herself, unquote, to the same status as the queen. The 67-year-old Thai king appointed the 34-year-old Siniat Wong Van Jirapakti, who is a trained pilot, a nurse, and a bodyguard, and his partner of several years to that official consort role last August, just two months after he married his fourth wife, 
Wang Vajirapati was the first person to hold the title of consort since Thailand became a constitutional monarchy back in 1932. The current king has a fraught history with women. He denounced his second wife in 1996 and disowned their four sons. And in 2014, he stripped his third wife of her titles and had members of her family arrested. So, a word to listenership. If, uh, if you're on Match.com, you should be wary of a Mr. Vajira Longcorn who may show up and be interested in going out. Mr. Millen predicts it will not end well for you. And to go even odder, and I apologize in advance for actually on Radio Parallax having an item about Miley Cyrus. But according to The Week magazine, she has repeatedly identified herself as queer and pansexual, but said a few weeks back she'd found a good man and advised other women, quote, you don't have to be gay, unquote. The singer said that her new lover has opened her eyes, saying, quote, I always thought I had to be gay because all gays were evil, but it's not true, unquote. Adding, in, I would have to say, a rather confused fashion, quote, there are good people out there that just happen to have penises, unquote. You know, here at Radio Parallax, we've known that for quite some time, but we're glad that Miley Cyrus has finally woken up to the idea. And speaking of women who may be lost and trying to get found. It turns out that a woman visiting the Sequoia National Park a week or two ago got spotted by a low-flying aircraft rescue crew after she spelled SOS out with rocks in a forest clearing. Yes, reportedly, Mary Joanna Gomez of Jackson, Mississippi, was cold, thirsty, and hungry, but otherwise in good health when she was found after three days in the southern Sierra Nevada wilderness. The news story notes that crew members aboard a California Air National Guard C-130 aircraft had searched for hours from high altitude using infrared technology with no luck. Said Lieutenant Colonel David Weedman, we elected to switch to an old school method, and that's with eyeballs. After making passes at around 1,000 feet, Weedman's co-pilot spotted the SOS spelled out in a rock formation on the ground at least 6 feet by 18 feet across. Seconds later, they saw Gomez. How she managed to get so thoroughly lost, just 3.5 miles away from her car, we don't know. But we are thrilled to note that, you know, old, low-tech methods can still be effective. And from the really bad idea file, we have this. The SpaceX Corporation told New Scientist magazine that demand for fast, reliable internet is escalating and that it is taking steps to responsibly scale up Starlink's total network capacity and data density to meet the growth in users' anticipated needs. To wit, they are planning to send up 40,000 satellites orbiting the Earth. Now, keep in mind that Homo sapiens have so far only sent up 9,000 satellites to date, and SpaceX already has permission to launch 12,000, of which 60 are already up. The firm says the Extra 30,000 satellites are also part of its plan for internet services. There's long been a prediction that if we get just a few more satellites up than we already have, that they're going to start colliding with one another, and this will cause a cascade effect, which will create all sorts of problems for operating in low Earth orbit. I mean, a high-powered rifle, you know, puts a bullet at you at what, something like Mach 2. And to stay in orbit, you have to what, be like Mach 25, something like that. And since kinetic energy is a square function, that means, well, if you're going to go, let's just say, 
10 times as fast, you're going to have 100 times the energy. This is a really bad idea, folks. Of course, I guess if we had more satellites up there to make uh, social media just that much more convenient, we'd see more stories like this one, which is that the Wall Street Journal is reporting that Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen is finally fully stocked for the return of its wildly popular spicy chicken sandwich. After a viral social media campaign last summer led to stores being overrun by fried fowl enthusiasts, the company sold out of a supply intended for three months in just 14 days. Popeyes says it's been hiring staff to make sure they are ready for the sandwich's return. Well, we certainly hope so. We keep hearing stories that people are getting shot and stabbed over fights in Popeyes over these chicken sandwiches. It is curious, isn't it? Social media campaign, three-month supply of chicken sandwiches, they blow through it in 14 days. I guess a lot of people are on this internet thing. As we all know, this internet thing is featured in these stories about Russiagate and meddling in the 2016 election in favor of Donald Trump. How about this item? A top-secret Russian intelligence unit has been waging a decade-long effort to destabilize Europe, plotting coups and conducting assassination attempts across the continent, according to the New York Times a couple of weeks ago. The covert outfit known as Unit 29155 was discovered only recently by Western officials and has been linked to numerous operations. Its officers were involved in a failed plot to kill Montenegro's prime minister in 2016 and repeated attempted hits on his Bulgarian arms dealer Emilian Gebrev. It is this unit that apparently also conducted the 2018 poisoning of Russian double agent Sergei Skripal in southern England. One of the two Russian officers indicted in the U.K. over the attack, Colonel Anatoly V. Chapiga, was photographed with Unit 29155's commander, Major General Andrei Averyanov, in 2017 at, at the wedding of his daughter. Peter Schwack, described as a retired U.S. military intelligence officer, said, I think we had forgotten how organically ruthless the Russians could be. Of course, it isn't only Russians that can be ruthless and organize assassinations. The New York Times reported a week or so ago that the last moments of Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi's life were spent being chased down a dark underground tunnel by military dogs. The dogs that sprinted after him, President Donald Trump said about the Islamic State's leader on Sunday, President Donald Trump said about the Islamic State's leader at death, were only deterred by a suicide bomb that detonated inside al-Baghdadi's vest, killing him and several of his children. Noted the Times in a graphic speech spent comparing al-Baghdadi to a whimpering and suffering animal, Trump celebrated that no American lives had been lost, not even a four-legged one. Our canine, as they call it, Trump said, I call it a dog, a beautiful dog, a talented dog, was injured and brought back. Yeah, a beautiful dog, a talented dog. Well, maybe he was a talented dog and we hope he's taken good care of because, you know, we, we're concerned about animal welfare, although perhaps maybe not quite as zealous about it as the folks who took it upon themselves to petition Alameda County supervisors to ban mutton busting. In case you're not aware, and we certainly weren't, a mutton busting is a rodeo event in which children ride on the backs of sheep to see how long they can hang on before being tossed by the animals. Last week, the Alameda County supervisors voted three to two to prohibit riding sheep at local rodeos. Aww. 
Evidently, Supervisor Richard Valley said he supported the ordinance because the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals opposes mutton busting. Supervisor Nate Miley said he was not convinced, saying, I, I think there's a dispute whether mutton busting is cruel to animals. And it turns out this prohibition will affect rodeos at the Alameda County Fairgrounds and at Rowell Park Rodeo Park, located along Interstate 580 in the unincorporated areas between Castro Valley and Dublin. The ban will not affect rodeos in Livermore since they are outside the county's jurisdiction, which I suppose is good to know for those kids who had their hearts set on doing some mutton busting. Mr. Millen, you've done quite a bit of mutton busting in your time, haven't you? Well, not a lot of mutton busting, but a lot of mutton eating, which I think is far more cool. Oh, uh, well, okay then. All right, and how about an oddball obituary? This one, this one I think qualifies. We're noting the passing of Scotty Bowers. For years, movie insiders gossiped about a handsome former Marine who reputedly ran a prostitution ring out of a Hollywood gas station supplying hookups for both straight and closeted gay screen idols. The man was Scotty Bowers. He exposed his work in his 2012 memoir, Full Service. Bowers claimed to have arranged 20 tricks a day over several decades, free of charge, for clients including Cary Grant, Rock Hudson, Katherine Hepburn, Vincent Price, and Ava Gardner. He said he often provided the services himself, attending orgies with Cole Porter and betting an inexhaustible Vivian Lay. Some critics accused Bowers of exaggerating his encounters and slandering Hollywood greats, a charge which he denied. Bowers said, All my famous tricks are dead. The truth can't hurt them anymore. The Hollywood legend here that, uh, is that Bowers was working in, after World War II in a gas station in Hollywood Boulevard near Paramount Pictures. And one day, Oscar nominated actor Walter Pigeon drove through the gate and drove through the station and gave him a $20 tip and asked if he wanted to go for a swim. Bowers accepted the invitation, which turned out to involve more than swimming. Noted his obituary when the AIDS epidemic hit in the 80s, Bowers decided to quit. He settled down with Lois Broad, a speech therapist, and continued to collect gossip as a bartender at parties, where he was supposedly a top-of-the-line bartender. While some Hollywood insiders called his memoir prurient, others credited Bowers with pulling back the curtain on sexual repression during Hollywood's golden age. Bowers said of his gay clients, So they liked sex how they liked it. Who cares? And here's a news item that's not too oddball. Well, maybe it is, but we certainly approve of it. Apparently, concert promoters are uh, having second thoughts about using facial recognition at concerts. Evidently, here in America, major concert promoters uh, were planning to scan festival goers with facial recognition technology, but are now having second thoughts, we presume, over the negative publicity associated with this technology. Promoters of the technology, of course, are saying, no, no, this, this, this is all going to be fine. Apparently, some musicians are upset about this, too. They note that uh, their fans' mug shots might still end up in the hands of law enforcement or immigration authorities. The article quotes a member of the punk band Downtown Boys as saying, of course it's going to be used by security. Of course it's going to be used by law enforcement. It should be noted that a June survey by the Pew Research Center found that while people are generally accepting of facial recognition used by police, only 36% said they trust tech companies to deploy it responsibly, and just 18% trust advertisers to do likewise. We think their misplaced confidence is not 
actually misplaced. All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the week, it was a good week last week for distractions with the news that models Julia Rose and Lauren Summer got banned, quote, indefinitely, unquote, from Major League Baseball stadiums. Why? Well, they apparently flashed their breasts at Houston Astro pitcher Jarrett Cole during Game 5 of the World Series in Washington, D.C. Major League Baseball said the pair violated the fan code of conduct. I know, Mr. I'm, I'm not sure which pair they were referring to. And we are unaware of what effect it actually had on Houston Astros pitcher Jarrett Cole. But I know in this World Series, the home team lost every single game, so I guess that one was one that they won. And it was a bad week last week for free speech, although some might argue a good week for civility with the news that a Massachusetts lawmaker has proposed making it a crime, a crime to call someone a bitch. And we presume in this case he's, he's referring to other than female canines. But uh, Democrat Representative Daniel Hunt's bill, which free speech advocates say is clearly unconstitutional, would classify as a, quote, disorderly person, unquote, anyone, quote, who uses the word bitch directed at another person to accost, annoy, degrade, or demean, unquote. Offenders potentially would be fined up to $200 and or jailed for up to six months. Man, if you had to spend six months in jail for this, I'm sure you'd be thinking, man, life is a bitch. And it was an ugly week, we'd have to say, for homophobia, with the news that a Missouri jury has awarded nearly $20 million to a gay police officer who was told to, quote, tone down, unquote, his gayness. Sergeant Keith Wildhaber was passed over 23 times for promotion, with superior officers describing him as fruity and way too out there with his gayness. The jury foreman said the award sends a message that if you discriminate, you're going to pay a big price. And finally, we're not sure how to classify this as good, bad, or ugly. It's probably all three, but uh, apparently Netflix announced a trial program that will let viewers watch films and TV series at up to 1.5 times the original speed, which some have labeled chipmunk mode. Director Judd Apatow has responded, Don't make me call every director and show creator on Earth to fight you on this. We predict he will lose. Now, we profess to no expertise on quantum computing on this program, and that's for darn sure, but there seems to be a lot of controversy on the matter. Some say that it, it isn't really truly practical to have quantum computing. I don't know. It's a very technical argument they make that for them to work properly, they have to have more storage of qubits than there are atoms in the universe. I, I don't know. We mentioned that it apparently had slipped out that a team of researchers had Google had used a quantum computer to, to complete in three minutes a calculation that they say would have taken a classical machine 10,000 years. Well, that got leaked accidentally in October 23rd. This paper, which it came from, appeared intentionally 
uh, finally, in nature. But in the interim, apparently, IBM uh, got involved to throw some cold water on, on the claims being made. According to The Economist, the task that Google's engineers tested their machine on is called circuit sampling. It involves measuring the outputs of randomly wired circuits made of qubits, the quantum mechanical analogs of the classical bits that lie at the heart of conventional computing. The magazine notes that in truth, circuit sampling is a toy problem with little practical use. Google picked it as a demonstration because it is mightily difficult for a classical machine to do at all, whereas a well-behaved quantum computer finds it trivial. They note that the contest becomes exponentially more unequal as the number of qubits in the quantum machine goes up. Google used a 53-qubit machine. The classical computing yardstick against which its performance was allegedly measured was Summit, a machine at Oak Ridge National Laboratory that is, at the moment, the fastest in the world. Google's engineers did not, however, actually do the experiment. Rather, they arrived at the figure of 10,000 years by extrapolating from easier versions of the task. IBM said, not so fast, or rather not so slow. The chief problem Summit faced is that when simulating 53 qubit circuits, it would run out of memory. They claimed that their machine had plenty of memory at its disposal and therefore could actually do this calculation in two and a half days, not 10,000 years. According to IBM, Google therefore did not show quantum supremacy at all. The Economist notes that technically IBM is right, but how much it matters is another question because two and a half days is, after all, still about 1,200 times longer than the three minutes it took Google. At any rate, it's apparent that the uh, internet has not been broken yet, but I, I just I, I just have to wonder why it is they are pursuing this so avidly. I guess because you'll rule the world if you do. Because, as you're probably aware, dear listener, the internet uses encryption to stop sensitive data, such as bank details or private messages, from being read by anyone and everyone. The process involves mathematically jumbling up data before it is transmitted and deciphering it once it's received, a process vulnerable to quantum computers. Allegedly, an algorithm developed by computer scientist Peter Shore in 1994 might allow a quantum machine to factor out prime numbers that protect your bank statements in eight hours. You may take some solace in noting that to do that, it would need 20 million qubits, whereas the Google quantum computer only had 53. So such a device is a long way off. Thank God. Personally, I like to, you know, think that my money is going to stay in my bank account. That's just me. I guess if Sergey Brin and Larry Page want it more, well, shoot, maybe they should just be allowed to take it. And speaking of tech giants, the word is out that Jeff Bezos of Amazon, well, we presume he was behind this, evidently spent $1 million to help elect pro-business city council members up in their hometown of Seattle. One cynic up in Seattle noted that Amazon could do this in hundreds of places around the country with all the money that they're not paying in taxes. Progressive Democratic presidential candidates Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are among those accusing Amazon of trying to buy the city council. Come to think of it, I guess you could add Radio Parallax to that list, huh? It should be noted that in this election cycle, seven of the nine council seats are in play. And this election comes a year after a political debacle in Seattle that damaged the city council's popularity. 
The leaders unanimously passed the Amazon tax, designed to make lucrative companies contribute more to affordable housing for the homeless. It repealed the tax after a revolt from Amazon, which would have had to pay about $11 million a year. The company said Seattle didn't need more money and that it was highly uncertain whether the city council's anti-business positions or its spending inefficiency will change for the better. Oh, by the way, all these companies that are creating the housing crisis are donating money to, to deal with the housing crisis. Headline news in the Bay Area News Group noted that Apple's pledging $2.5 billion to the housing cause in the Bay Area. I guess in the wake of Google and Facebook both both claiming they're going to contribute $1 billion to this problem, there's a lot of money allegedly being thrown at the housing crisis. It should be noted that pressure for Apple to do something apparently got ratcheted up with an examination of Silicon Valley land ownership patterns being conducted by the Bay Area News Group in conjunction with KQED, also reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting, and NBC Bay Area. They've all noted that for years, Apple has remained conspicuously on the sidelines on the issue. Anyway, they are conducting a survey of Silicon Valley land ownership. Uh, It's going to be a multi-part series. We hope we'll have some data from that to, to extract and share. For its part, the New York Times has taken aim at yet another problem with our high tech. Piece by Nicole Pearl Roth notes that since they were introduced a few years ago, security experts have fretted that voice-controlled digital assistants like Apple's Siri and Amazon's Alexa were a privacy threat and could be easily hacked. But the risk presented by a cleverly pointed light was probably not on anyone's radar. But researchers in Japan and at the University of Michigan said last Monday they found a way to take over Google Home, Amazon's Alexa, or Apple's Siri devices by shining laser pointers and even flashlights at the device's microphones. In one case, they opened a garage door by shining a laser beam at a voice assistant that was connected to it. They also climbed 140 feet to the top of a bell tower at the University of Michigan and successfully controlled a Google Home device on the fourth floor of an office building 230 feet away. And by focusing their lasers using a telephoto lens, they said they were able to hijack a voice assistant more than 350 feet away. Opening the garage door was easy, the researchers said. With the light commands, the researchers could have hijacked any digital smart system attached to the voice-controlled assistance. They said they could have easily switched light switches off and on, made online purchases, or opened a smart, lock-protected front door. They even could have remotely unlocked or started a car that was connected to the device. Said Kevin Fu, Associate Professor of Electrical Engineering and Computer Science at the University of Michigan, this opens up an entirely new class of vulnerabilities. It's difficult to know how many products are affected because this is so basic. The researchers who studied the light flaw for seven months said they discovered the microphones and devices will respond to light as if it was sound. Inside each microphone is a small plate called a diaphragm that moves when sound hits it. That movement can be replicated by focusing a laser or flashlight at the diaphragm. A flashlight, can you imagine? This piece does note that security researchers have a long history of revealing stunning vulnerabilities in Internet-connected devices. Experts have often cautioned that while those weaknesses can be surprising, they are often worst-case scenarios that only can be exploited in the rarest of circumstances. 
And there is no clear indication that the light vulnerability detailed has been used by hackers. Well, no, not yet, till they read about it. Anyway, let, let's take a short break. This is Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett and Mr. McMillan. How about for our bumper music, Flashlight? <laughs> 